0: Um, I have a new best friend, Um, his name is Owen, and he's five, and um, hi Owen, I think he's at the back there, and Owen was down the front here during the worship, and I just said, hello, what's your name? And he said, my name's Owen, and I said, my name's Gareth, and he said, how old are you? I said, how old do you think I am? He said, 17. (laughs) 17. I said, Owen, I love you. You're great. I said, I'm not 17. I'm 41. Shock horror from the congregation. Yeah, I'm 41. And he went, 41? You're not an adult, are you? And, you know, I thought, I said, no, I don't want to be an adult. I don't want to be an adult spiritually. I want to be a kid spiritually. You know, kids have this kind of mentality that anything is possible, don't they? And uh, I just really want to have that sort of mentality in my life that anything with God is possible. Oh, he's telling me now I am an adult. Okay, Owen. Owen, oh, I think you should be going to Promised Land now. I think your input earlier was, was much more encouraging. Anyway, um, last weekend, um, many of us in the church went to a wedding in Worcester. And uh, on Thursday this week, I got a letter through the post Um, from Worcester Police. And they were making the tiny little suggestion that possibly I was driving a little bit too quickly to go to the wedding at the weekend. And it was interesting because my wife was saying the same thing when I was driving there. So I don't know whether they have spoken to my wife or a bit of a conspiracy theory there. Um, The thing was, on Friday morning, um, I got a little letter from Gloucester Police. (laughs) And they also, I think they'd been talking to Worcester police, and uh, they also were feeling that I maybe possibly was driving a little bit quickly to the wedding at the weekend. And they were so generous about it, because what they said is, they said I can go on a course and they'll teach me how to drive properly. So I just, I thought that was a very sort of generous thing of them to do. Um, And then on Saturday morning, I got another letter from Worcester Police, and apparently at a different place, I might have been doing the same thing and driving a little bit too quickly. You know, that's an absolute true story. Um, You know, there's some limits that you shouldn't really break. There's some limits, it's good to keep within those limits, but I just want to say to you this morning that there are some limits that are meant to be broken, um and last week dad was speaking about breakthrough how many people would say that god is breaking through in their lives doing something new doing something good that he's taking the limits off yeah i mean whilst i may need to learn how to drive my car properly when it comes to spiritually i want to have my pedal to the metal yes is that the kind of church we want to be that we're really going for it spiritually, that we're loving God with everything, and we're breaking through any limits that the enemy may place on us. So we're going to be starting a new series this morning. This is what we're going to doing over the summer. So um, if you, in your devotional times, just encourage you to be reading through the Psalms, and uh, it's going to be great. So we're going to pray for Dad, and uh, then we'll let him loose. Lord, we thank you for the sense of blessing and goodness and mercy that you want to pour out on our lives every single day. And Lord, I pray right now that as we come under the teaching of your word, that Lord, you would minister to our hearts and our souls, that you break off any limits that we have placed upon ourselves, that the enemy has placed upon us. We know that you are a limitless, powerful, strong and mighty God. And I pray that that strength, that resurrection strength, Amen. will be poured into our life every single day. Amen.
1: Amen. You wouldn't think it, would you, but... He was always getting on to me about speeding. (laughs) So um, my first lesson to him is practice what you preach. (laughs) (laughs) Will you turn with me, please, to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion... We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Do you find that some Christians, they just seem to be able to share their faith? And they do it so easily, it kind of makes you feel as if, I wish I could do it like that. We had a guy that used to come to our church when I was a boy by the name of Ted Asprey. Now Ted Asprey was one of those girl, boys, that could fellas, that could do everything you know, at the same time. He was the managing director of the biggest furniture shop in Manchester. He was a leader of a church and he was always telling people about Jesus. And we heard so many stories when he used to come down that we had a church magazine and we asked him to monthly send us a story. And every month, we had a story about somebody he had talked to. This is one of them. A young man on a hiking holiday had slept on the sands overnight and was having a battle and was having a bathe, sorry, in the sea and um, was getting ready for... Getting dressed and moving off. As I began to get near him, praying all the time, I realised he was having trouble with his sleeping bag fastener. So I sat down and said, Hello, having trouble? He nodded. Then, after fixing it, I asked him where he lived and what he was doing. He told me he was on holiday. Then I discovered he had left his father in New Zealand and there was a break between them. Eventually, I began to talk about the danger of drifting and the need of a saviour. He said why have you been talking to me on this subject? I have a book in my pocket about the search for reality. He showed it to me and I saw the book would never have led him to that which he referred to. He was confused by it all. So I told him about Jesus, about the truth and reality that is found in him. I proved From the Bible, that God's love for sinful men and women was seen in his son who died on the cross and that through him he can find pardon and peace with God and eternal life. Soon, the young man realized his search was over. He had come into contact with the living Christ. He surrendered his life to Jesus, the Saviour of the world, there on the seashore. We had a time of prayer together. He had raised his hand toward the sky and said, God is here. And God is on this beach. Evidently, his burden of sin had been lifted. For he said to me as he went, something has left me. Now that was one of scores of people that this man witnessed to. And I don't know about you, but I always pray that I will also be successful in telling people about Jesus. Do you? Can you imagine what would happen if every one of us witness to one person in the next 12 months in Summerstown and that person would become a Christian. We would double our numbers. Do you know, if we all did that for 10 years, we would see every person in Summerstown, all 20,000 of them, become Christians. That's all it would take. If all of us, one year, every year, would witness to somebody and win them for Jesus. So, how can we be successful? Now, this psalm is a great psalm. Obviously, it's a psalm that the, um, the uh, people of Israel sung as they went into the temple. And it told the story of their return from Babylon back to Israel. First three verses were praises of God for setting them free and their deliverance. The pr- Verse four was a prayer for the completion of that deliverance. And verses five and six talked about their pain and anguish while in captivity, and the joy of their return. But if you look at it from a New Testament point of view, you find out that actually it's a great psalm that teaches us how to be successful witnesses. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you witnessing? When was the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? In the New Testament, the word witness comes one hundred and seventy. Five times and did you know as well that in the new testament the word preach is used 112 times and of those times 106 doesn't refer to like me preaching from a pulpit it refers to you and me talking to people about Jesus that's quite amazing and you know I don't know how you feel but I think Somersetown needs Jesus don't you I think there are lots of people out there that really, though they don't know it, are just waiting for someone like you and me to go and tell them about Jesus. And listen, you never know. Even if you're doing children's work, you never know that person that you win for Jesus, what might happen. Mr. Kimball was a Boston businessman and he taught a boy's Sunday school class. And he made it a point, even when they grew up a bit, never to let go of them. There was one boy in his class, and he was a bit of a rogue. And he was was naughty in class, and every time he saw him, he used to dodge him. But this boy got a job at a cobbler's shop. So Mr. Kimball decided to go into the shop and buy a pair of shoes. And while the boy was giving him the shoes and sorting him out, he said to him suddenly, you know, you ought to be a Christian. You'd make a brilliant Christian. And somehow, those words hit him. And in that shop, that boy became a Christian. Now, you may not know his name, but some of you will. His name was D.L. Moody. He was one of the greatest evangelists in America. And he won tens of thousands of people to Jesus. I think Mr. Kimball played a big part of that, don't you? And you never know when you talk to somebody about Jesus the effect that it might have on what that person may do with their lives. So, how can this psalm help us? Well, first of all, in verses 1 to 3, it talks about the message of a successful witness. I don't know about you, but I find so many Christians, when they start, you start challenging them about you know, talking to people, they say, well, what do I say? And, and, and somehow they're often lost for words when it comes to talking to people about Jesus. Did you know you have got the greatest message on earth? Did you know the most exciting thing that has ever happened is the gospel message? That's why it's called Good News. And I want to tell you this message that we have to share with people and what we have to tell people about Jesus is the greatest message you can think of. It's a message of deliverance. Freedom, verse 1 says, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Now let me say something, people out there think our message is the opposite, they don't think in terms of us having a message of freedom and I think sometimes we don't always convey that, we talk about you must not, you must, you must not, you must. We lay down laws and regulations. That is what the Christian church has so often done. And instead of talking about freedom, we talk about bondage. We talk about putting people into a prison of do-nots and do's. Listen, that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of freedom. Jesus said, if the Son therefore makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, when I became a Christian, I became free to do exactly what I want. Let that sink in. I can do what I like. But I've also been given the freedom to choose not to do certain things. Not because somebody told me, but to be honest, because I don't want to do them. Why? Because I know where it leads. I know the problems it's going to put me in. I know it's not going to give me lasting freedom and enjoyment. So although I'm free to do it, I'm also free not to do it. Now, there are people out there that are, think they're free to do what they like, but actually they're bound by the things they're doing. And those very things are destroying them. Now, as a Christian, we need to tell people, listen, you become a Christian, you will be set free. They were set free from slavery. They have been slaves in a foreign country. And I don't know about you, friends, but you know, before I became a Christian, I was a bit of a slave to Satan. Now, I didn't think I did, but actually, I did do what he told me. Now, when Satan comes along to tempt me, I can say, no way, Jose, go. Resist the devil, the Bible says, and he will flee from you. Now, listen, are you conveying freedom to people? Are you making people believe you have real freedom? Um, One morning, the lady says, while cycling to work, I stopped at some traffic lights and overheard a mother bellowing at her child. Liberty! Liberty! Come here and do what you're told. <laughs> and I think sometimes that's the kind of freedom we tell people. You're free, you're free, but... Listen, there's no buts. You're free. Jesus has set you free. And He set you free to make the good choices in life, the right choices in life. And when you make those choices, you can say no to Satan. We're free. We're free from Satan. We're free from slavery. We're free from sin. And here's a marvellous thing. We're free from death. I've often said to him, you've heard me say it before, the last words my father said before he died of cancer. He sat up in bed and said, I shall not die, but live. And a few hours later, he passed away into eternity. My dad's more alive now than he's ever been why he's in eternity, is with the Savior. We have been set free from so many things. But we've also been set free and delivered two things. You know, one of the problems is, and, and this is the problem people will tell you about, that when people come out of prison, they find it very difficult to cope with a new life. They, they, they find they've, they've been in bondage sometimes for so long that when they come out, they've been delivered from but they do not know what they're delivered to. Now, here's the marvellous thing about being a Christian is, we've not only been delivered from things, we've been delivered into something that's brilliant and great. It it says in the verse one, it says, we were like those that dream. Actually, that word means, we were like those that recovered or were brought into and restored to health. You know, the marvellous thing about being a Christian is, that you've, you, you've been set free from, but you've been brought into a marvellous new life. You've been brought into the life that God created you to be. When God created us, he gave us a perfect world, and he said, it's yours. Look after it. And what God wants to do, he wants to restore us back to that place where we're in control. <laughs> do you feel in control this morning? Or do you feel in controlling in you? Listen, the Christian life is not a life where things are controlling you. It's where you're controlling those things. You're in charge. And it might seem, as to these these people, that um, this deliverance and this everything that they had was so incredible, it was like they were dreaming. And, you know, I've heard Christians say sometimes, new Christians, you know, it's fantastic. It's like living in a different world. And it is. Because you have been rescued, you have been set free and you've been brought into something that is real. But it's also a message of delight. It says, then our mouths was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Can you imagine what it must be like to have been a slave for 70 years and then suddenly find yourself set free? I mean, would you just kind of walk down the street and say, isn't it nice to be free? Oh, I like this. I have a feeling that you've been jumping up and down and shouting, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. You would be delighted about it. And these people, they were absolutely excited about their freedom. Now, you may be here this morning and maybe it's your first time to this church and you may wonder what in the wild world you've come into. What's all this singing and shouting? What's all this loud music? What's all this excitement? Well, I want to tell you something. We've got something to be excited about. Because Jesus has set us free. And it was surprising to It said, like those that dream. Sometimes, you know, I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian, oh, you know, years now. And, but, you know, still I pinch myself sometimes and say to myself, is it real? Is it right? Is always true. But it is. It's so incredibly fantastic. It, 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 it's an overwhelming delight you know, they, they, it seems that what they were saying, they couldn't stop laughing. They couldn't stop shouting. It, they were overwhelmed by this freedom. It was, and here's an interesting thing. Now listen to this. It says, then our mouth. It doesn't say mouths. It says, then our mouth. In other words, it was as if the whole nation was shouting as one because they were all excited. Wouldn't it be great if one Sunday, then our mouth was filled with praise. Not just a few, but our mouth. In other words, the whole church exploded. That's what happened here. They were so delighted. And what was interesting was, and this is what to me is so good, it says, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. In other words, the people outside were so excited about what they saw God was doing for these people, they said, God has done great things. They were convinced that it was God. Now, I don't know about you, I'm praying that the people around here will hear the worship in here and will start to see what God is doing and will say, you know, I think God's there. I think God's doing something. And this is the kind of message that we have. God is in this place. It was also a message of discovery because they said, the Lord has done great things for us. I believe, friends, we've all got a story to tell. We've all got something we can tell people if we're Christians. It's a, it's a discovery of God's love and God's goodness and God's grace. They said, for us. They didn't deserve it. They have been a right lot of rebels. But God still blessed them. I don't know about you, friends, but at heart, I'm a rebel. I look back on some of my teenage years and... Um, There were times when I was a naughty boy. But God still loved me. And God still came to me. And God still changed me. It's a discovery of God's grace. He said what he has done is a discovery of God's power. I don't know about you folks, but it takes a lot for God to keep me on the right road. And I'm thankful he's got the strength and the power to do it. It's not upon me. Every day, I don't know about you Christians here, but every day I get up in the morning and say, Lord, this is your day. I need your help. Because without your help, I am in trouble. And I want to tell you, friends, but even if you've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60 years or more, you still have to say it every morning. You know that it's God's power that does it. Now, that's the message that we have. It was not a good message to tell. Isn't it something, shouldn't that be something easy to share? But also, I want you to notice the mission of the witness. That's what the next few verses are about. And I want you to notice certain things. If we are going to share that message, how do we do it? Well, first of all, we do it with prayer. It's very interesting. Verse 4 says, Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the cell. What were they doing? Well, they were praying for their relatives who were still in captivity all those from babylon had come back but there were still people in other countries that had been taken and made into slaves and they never stopped praying for them and you know if we're going to win this whole area to jesus we've got to go but we've also got to pray we need god's help we need to pray that god will complete the work that it won't be just a few of us here from Town that are christians but that we see hundreds, even thousands of people that love the Lord Jesus. It was a passionate mission. It says, they that sow in tears. We need to have a passion about people. Do you love people? Have you got a passion about this, this area? Are you telling people how much God loves them? There are lots of people out there that just need love. They need to know that we're passionate and God is passionate about them. And our mission is to go into this community with a passion for Jesus and share him. But it's also practical. I know people that talk about it, that cry about it, that pray about it, and shout about it. But They never do anything about it. And the interesting thing about this is that it says, he who continually goes forth. In other words, People aren't just going to come into this church. We've got to go out and bring them in. It might be anything. Do you know how, do you know, now this this may not do you, you know, particularly my wife because she hates this stuff, but uh, somebody found out that their friend loved tripe and onions. So you know what he did? He said, would you like to come round to my house for tea and we'll have tripe and onions? So the guy said, yeah, oh, brilliant. So he fed him tripe and onions until he was absolutely full. Then he said, oh, by the way, I'm going to church tonight. Would you like to come with me? Now, the guy had so much tripe and onions, he couldn't say no. And guess what? He went and guess what happened? He became a Christian. He went after him. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to go. We've got to have passion. And it's a practical mission. He who go, continually goes forth, doing something, talking about people. And listen, you've all got a story to tell. Can I ask you, what was your life like before you became a Christian? Do you know there are people out here that were just like you, who are not Christians, just like you were. I I have a suspicion there's quite a few rogues in this, or potential rogues in this meeting this morning. What would you have been if God had not taken hold of your life? What were you? before you became a Christian? Well, share it. Don't be afraid to tell somebody, you know, I was just like you before I became a Christian. I did this, I did that. Immediately, you're on their wavelength. And then they want to know whether, how did you realise you needed to become a Christian? Just add that to your story. And then, how did you become a Christian? And then, what's happened since? And you know, as you tell that story you will find that people will be interested if you tell it a message of deliverance, a message of delight. And if you tell it in that such a way. It's a very precious mission. mission. He who goes forth continually bearing, and the Old Testament puts it, precious seed. You know, what we've got to tell people cost Jesus his life. It was a costly mission. It's a persistent mission. He who continually. Now, some people, you know, They tell somebody about Jesus and they say, that's it, I've done my bit. Listen, some people need to be told it time and time and time and time again. My wife went to Sunday school when she was 10. And she was in a class of a lady who really took this little girl to heart. When she was 11, she thought she was too grown up to go to Sunday school and she left. She left. But unfortunately, she lived just down the road from her Sunday school teacher. And every time her Sunday school teacher saw her, she would say, Hello, Maxine. How are you doing? And she did that for four years. And at the end of those four years, she started a girls' club in the church. And the first thing she did was she invited Maxine to go. She said, I've started a girls' club. Would you like to come? Maxine went. This was four years after she'd left Sunday school. On the way home... This lady said to my wife now, would you like to become a Christian, Maxine? And Maxine says, I've never forgotten going into her house. And as I walked in, her husband was in the living room and he he cottoned on something that was happening and quickly walked out. And the two of them sat there and her Sunday school teacher from four years ago led her to the Lord. That's persistence. That's keeping at it. And listen, if we do that, and if we persist at it, we will win people. I think there are, kids, there are young couples all around here that years ago went to, went to the youth work in the church, went to the children's work. And you never know. The day could well happen when you will come across one of those couples who heard the gospel before and it will be just the right moment and you can win them. But notice also the multiplication of the successful witness. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. In other words, you go out with seed and you come back with sheaves. Now, I call that multiplication. And I believe that's what God wants to give us. Now, I thank God that, you know, last week I think it was about seven or eight people that responded and wanted to give their lives to Jesus. And I thank God for that. But I believe, you know, that God wants not just to give us the ones, the twos, and the tens, but he wants to really multiply us. That's what the early church did. I've told you about the church in Bogota that grew from 20,000 to 120,000 in 12 months. That's what I call multiplication. And you know, friends, God can do it for us. And, and, and when, it, when it happens, it, it's so great to see it happening. It's, it was a sure, it says, "Shall doubtless. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that if we keep on witnessing, keep on telling people about Jesus, keep on doing it, ultimately, we will see multiplication. God will bless us. It tells us to continue in the work. It will be satisfying. I don't know about you, but I love it when people become Christians. I love it when I see people coming to Jesus, and it will also be successful. Do you believe God loves Summers Do you? Do you believe God loves this this area? Do you believe God wants us to be successful in winning people to Jesus? This psalm tells us that if we continually, continually, continually go forth, we can see this whole community totally transformed. It's been happening in many, many parts of the world where a church has suddenly got a passion for Jesus. They've started to pray and they've started to witness and God has shaken the whole community. And as I said right at the beginning, you never know who you're talking to. William Burton was one of our great missionaries. I remember him coming when I was a youngster to our church and telling us stories about Africa. Oh, it was fascinating. He went to Africa and saw... Thousands upon thousands of people become Christians. But he always took the opportunity to witness. He would never miss an opportunity. One night, he and his wife had to stop at an inn in Zaire because his wife was very ill. He found out that the inn was being used as a headquarters for a strike that was causing a tremendous lot of trouble in the city. The next day, he was sitting outside when a man came and sat beside him. Very quickly, note this, Mr. Burton began to tell him his story. And as he told him his story, he led on to what Jesus had done in his life. And suddenly the man said, my mother told me all about this. She was a Christian. My wife's a Christian, and she reads the Bible every day. After a time together, this man said, can we pray somewhere? Guess where he took him? Into his room, where his wife was laying in bed ill. And they sat in a corner, and there he led this man to Jesus. That day, the strike finished. Peace came to the whole town, and the whole atmosphere was transformed. He found out later that the man he'd led to Jesus was the leader of the strike. You never know who you talk to. You never know who you win. Can I challenge you this morning? Let us start witnessing. Let's start telling our story. Let us start telling people about Jesus. And who knows, by the end of this year, we could find it difficult to get the people into this place. Wouldn't that be good? God can do it. Amen.